Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jose. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at church. Um, it's a great joy to be with you and looking at God's Word. Uh, but I must be honest, I feel like today's task is a little bit difficult. Um, today's passage isn't the easiest one. I mean, like, how do, you, how do you feel when I say that the kingly story represents Jesus? The first few times as I was trying to understand this story, I couldn't help but think that this king is horrible. I wonder if you feel the same. Uh, This story might be shocking, it might be a bit hard to understand, so let's pray for God's help as we look into it. Dear God, we thank you so much for giving us your word today. Please give us clarity to understand what you're really saying. And Lord, please give us wisdom to respond to it rightly. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus, he's telling a story, but let's, let's start by setting the scene. Who is he talking to? Uh, in the verses before, we see a big crowd following Jesus. But Jesus, out of the whole crowd, he showed special attention to a thief and traitor named Zacchaeus. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when everyone else hated him. And so he explains himself in verse 10. He says, the son of man he's talking about himself, came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 11 says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. He's just told them that he's come to save and seek, seek and save the lost. And now he tells them a parable. A parable is a story with a deeper spiritual meaning. If we read all of verse 11, we see, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. You see, Jesus, he's on a mission to correct and unsettle the people's wrong expectations of the kingdom of God. The people, they believe that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to be crowned king. They're expecting him to be the hero who rescues them from the Romans. Jesus, he wants to show them that he will be crowned king but in a completely opposite way to what they expect. And the people, they believe that the kingdom of God is going to appear at once. Jesus, he uses this parable to say that the the kingdom of God is definitely coming, but not yet. Not yet. It's kind of like retirement. For those of us who haven't retired yet, we know that retirement is coming. But that doesn't mean that we can just kick back and relax now. Uh, No, now now is the time to work. In this parable, Jesus tells the people that now is not the time to retire and rest. Now is time to do the work that the king has given us to do. In other words, while we wait for our king Jesus, we must do his work. While we wait for our king Jesus, we must do his work. He begins in verse 12. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. The man of noble birth, he wants to go to a distant country to be declared king in his home country. So he first goes to that distant country to ask for the authority to be king. He's not going to that distant country to try and be king over that foreign country. It sounds a bit weird, But Jesus' listeners would have understood him perfectly. And this actually happened in in their recent history. 
Um, around 30 years before Jesus was speaking, Archelaus went to Rome to ask Caesar to give him the authority to be king. As we said, Israel is under the power of the Roman Empire. And so Caesar, he's the real king of the Roman Empire, and Archelaus has to go to him to ask him if he can be king over the Jews. And this is what the man of noble birth in Jesus' story is doing. And while he's away, he gives his servants a job to do. Verse 13, he called ten of his servants and gave them ten miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. The ten servants are given one miner each. A miner is about three months' wages. They're told to put this money to work. And the master's going to be away for a long time. Can they be trusted to do the master's work that he has given them to do? But we also see that there's trouble for the master. Verse 14, his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Same thing happened to when, Arch- when Archelaus went to Rome. A group of people followed him and they said, we don't want this man to be our king. But Archelaus was not a good man. And in the story that Jesus is telling, do the subjects have any good reason to hate the king, to hate the nobleman? It doesn't look like there's any good reason for them to reject him as their king. They just hate him but they don't get what they want. We see in verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The master wants to know if the servants have been trustworthy with what he has given them. Have they done what he told them to do? The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. The first servant, he increases his master's money by 1,000%. I don't know about you, but I think that's an incredible return. And the second servant came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. Sorry. In response to the first servant, he said, Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The master, he sees his servant's great work, he praises him and he gives him an incredible reward, a much bigger responsibility and privilege. And what about the second servant? He came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. It's half as much, but a 500% return is still incredible. So the king rewards him too. What pleases the king? obedience and trustworthiness. Now, the first two servants obeyed their master by putting his money to work, just as he told them to do. They showed that they could be trusted with what they had been given, and so they were given much, much more. The reward is so much bigger than the servant's return. A miner could barely buy a barn, yet for each miner that they received back, Uh, each miner they returned back to the master, they received a whole city. What would the next servant have to show his master? Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. 
This servant, he, he really does nothing. He just hides the miner away where he couldn't help anyone and where it couldn't grow in value. Why would he do that? Well, he tells the master, verse 21, I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. But if we read this story closely, we see that nothing actually suggests that this master deserves the description this servant is giving him. Even the mention before of the servants or the subjects who hated the master probably says more about their own wrong beliefs than the master's character. Instead, we see that the master has shown himself to be really kind and generous. We see how he treated the trustworthy servants. He gave them a huge reward, much bigger than their work deserved. But the third servant, he doesn't know his master. He believes his master is a hard man. He says he takes what he doesn't put in. Now, can you imagine your co-worker saying, our boss is really harsh. He treats us all unfairly. I'm really scared of him. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do nothing. What would you say to your co-worker? Wouldn't you say, no, no, that's not going to please our boss. He'll be angry with you because you've not done anything. And some of you, you might have seen this picture of me and my parents. You would know then that my dad is very proud of his garden. My dad, he planted all the fruits and vegetables in his garden. So if he wants to pick an apple to eat, can I say to him, you take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow? No, because he did plant everything in the ground. He does have the right to eat all the things from his garden. And in the same way, the king does have the right to take what he has put in. He did put in the miners, and he does have the right to take and reap the rewards or the returns. Not only does his third servant do nothing, when his master comes back, he says bad things about him. How will the master respond? His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money in deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? The master, he condemns the servant for not working, even though he believes that the master is a hard man. This servant fails to meet his own standards. If he really believed what he was saying, he could have at least put the money in the bank. He could have at least earned the interest. That would have taken the same amount of effort as hiding it away. The king calls him a wicked servant. And more than that, in verse 24, he says, He said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. The third servant can't be trusted with what he's been given and so he's left with nothing. His miner is given to the one who has ten. The people standing by are shocked. They say, sir, he already has ten. But the crowd, 
They don't understand the king's generosity. They live by their own standards of fairness. The king is very, very generous to his servants who have proven trustworthy. The king replies, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. While the king is generous to his faithful servants, he gives the unfaithful servant what he deserves. And he also gives his enemies what they deserve. He says, verse 27, But those enemies of mine, he did not want me to be king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is an even more shocking end to the story. The king has been generous and kind to his servants. Now he has his enemies killed in front of him. Maybe this suggests that the king is a hard man. As we will see later, the king is just and these subjects and these enemies get what they deserve. And this story has a deeper spiritual meaning. Let's explore the spiritual meaning to make sense of all of this. Ultimately, the meaning that God wants us to know and live by, while we wait for our King Jesus, we must do his work. While we wait for our King Jesus, we must do his work. The king in the story is Jesus. The noble man going to a distant country represents Jesus going to heaven. He won't be returning immediately, but he will definitely be coming back. And as we read the story, we see three different responses to the king. Firstly, we see faithful obedience. Secondly, unfaithful disobedience or fearful disobedience. And also, thirdly, hateful rejection. And we see that the king has given his followers and servants work to do while he's away. Uh, we could possibly say that the miners represent the good news of Jesus given to God's people. But we can, what we can know for sure is that Jesus gives his servants the responsibility and privilege of doing his work. While we wait for our King Jesus, we must do his work. When Jesus comes back, his kingdom will be fully established forever. What is he looking for? He's looking for faithful obedience. He will reward his servants who have done his work. And his servants will see that the reward is much better than the work they did. Jesus really is generous and kind. One servant gained ten miners and he was given ten cities. The other servant was given five cities for his five miners. Is this parable teaching that Christians receive different levels of reward when Jesus returns? I don't actually have a sure answer for you today. Maybe you can tell me your answer. But if there will be different rewards, will the ones who will be given less be unhappy? No. An illustration that I found helpful is that everyone is given different rewards, like different sized cups. That's what all the trustworthy servants receive. And everyone's cup is completely full. So they will be full of joy and praise for their king. On the other hand, if we don't accept who Jesus really is, we will receive the opposite 
of rewards. The wicked servant was left with nothing because they didn't do the work of the king. And they didn't do the work of the king because they didn't accept and trust what the king was really like. They're like someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus but has no real trust or relationship with him. By the way that he's responded, he's rejected the king. They think they know what will please the king, but they're wrong. And we can make the same mistake. We have to ask ourselves, are we really doing the work our King Jesus has given us to do? Or are we doing nothing? Or are we working for ourselves instead of King Jesus? While we wait for our King Jesus, we must do his work. What is the work that Jesus has given us to do? Uh, The work is to invite others to stop rebelling against Jesus and to submit to Jesus as their king. Uh, It's a great joy to see and hear how many of you are serving Jesus here and also beyond. Uh, Welcoming others here at church is a great blessing to all of us. Uh, The way you love your families, your neighbours and others and show them them Jesus' love, uh, that's a fantastic encouragement. And the way that you pray, your prayers are doing Jesus' work. And the work is also to help each other tell the people around us that Jesus is the most kind and generous king that we could ever have. How could you help your church family love others with the good news of Jesus? Last year we started with these one, two, three cards It's looking for every one member to have two specific people that they're praying and actively introducing to Jesus in the next three years. You can take a card for yourself, write down two names, and also be in touch with other people in our church about the two names that they have. Who are they praying for? Who are they seeking to introduce to Jesus with the good news? Friends, keep using these one, two, three cards to help each other love others with the good news of Jesus. Uh, and talk to me if you would like some more. Also, as we've heard, we've got the equipped ministry training year to grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus so that we can love others as well. And also our growth groups, grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus so that we can love others and help them submit to Jesus as their king. Um, If you missed the QR code, it's on our church bulletin, just the second one there. Please, please use that. We would love to see you in growth group and anything like that. And another question, how will knowing that Jesus is coming back shape how you pray and live this year? You might have some thoughts. A helpful next step will be to talk to a friend from church about how you're committing or recommitting to serving your King Jesus this year. And if Jesus is our King... We've got to live with him as our king in a world that doesn't want Jesus to be king. You see, most people are living as Jesus' enemies. A lot of people, they might not even realise it, are living with a hateful rejection of Jesus. Jesus' enemies don't accept who he really is and they won't submit to him as their master, as their king. 
When we read all of the book of Luke, we see how Jesus' enemies have been working to have him killed. They don't want Jesus to be their king. And they will have Jesus killed on the cross. But Jesus, he rises from the dead and is now seated with God the Father in heaven. One day, he'll be coming back. What will happen to those who have hated him and rejected him as their king? When Jesus comes back, all of his enemies will die. This is a warning to everyone who rejects Jesus as their king. Jesus has been warning us again and again and again. Everyone who doesn't submit to him as their king will die. Are you horrified at the king's final judgment? Judgment should horrify us. Everyone who rejects Jesus as their king will die. Jesus, he is the only one who can give us life forever. Jesus is the only way, the only one who can give us a restored and perfect relationship with the God who made us. If we reject Jesus as our king, we reject the life and relationship that only he can give us. Rejecting Jesus means choosing death. If we assume Jesus is harsh and unfair, we can try and reject the reality that he exists and choose not to do what he says. And so we miss out on his reward and choose death. We've all lived as Jesus' enemies. We all deserve to die for how we rebelled against Jesus as our king. But Jesus, Jesus, he kindly offers to forgive us for how we have rebelled against him. There's joy in receiving Jesus' forgiveness his kindness and his generosity. We need to trust him and submit to him as our king. We saw in the Old Testament reading, Israel served other kings. They worshipped idols. And we're the same. We all serve someone or something. Our family, our parents, our career. But they'll all leave us disappointed. Jesus is different. Jesus is the most kind and generous king we could ever have. And we're all invited to turn to him and to trust him, to receive forgiveness and to do his work. Please, Don't wait to trust Jesus as your king. Please trust Jesus as your king today. Jesus is the most kind and generous king we could ever have.
Now today we're living in a time where King Jesus has gone away. And when Jesus comes back, what will it be like when you stand before him? Will Jesus praise you and say, well done, my good servant? Will he say, you wicked servant? Or will you stand as his enemy and choose death? If we trust Jesus and are trustworthy with what he has given us, we don't need to be scared of Jesus' coming judgment. We can trust Jesus. He's the one who willingly died on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven for how we have rebelled against him. He died for us so that we could have life forever and a perfect relationship with him. While we wait for our King Jesus, we must do his work because we trust that he is definitely coming back. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for being a kind and generous king. And Lord, as our king, thank you so much for giving us the responsibility and privilege of doing your work. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be trustworthy servants, to do your work even when we're tired, even when we're busy, even when we're sad. Lord, please help us to be trustworthy with your work, with everything you have given us. And Lord, we pray, if any of us here are your enemies, please change and transform our hearts so that we would willingly choose to worship you and serve you as our kind and generous King. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.